As you see before you, I want to continue or bounce off of the lesson we had last week about how to start over with a lesson on all things new. Now, if, you'll search, if you search our website and the database of sermons in there, you'll probably find a sermon or two called the same thing, all things new. This is not the same lesson really at all. It's just a, a, a title that fits from the book of Second Corinthians. And I want to base it, and it's kind of a different kind of sermon, and it's not got just one point uh, or one main point. It's, it's really taking off on a basic idea that we talked about last week. And I'll show you that in just a second. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Some versions would say new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, as we'll see in a moment, that word new there means a new kind of thing. In English, we have one word new, and we use it for a lot of things. In Greek, they had more than one word. In fact, there are three, two main words that they use for the word new. And of course, our New Testaments were originally written in the common language of Greek from the first century A.D., the common Greek language as it was spoken, Koine Greek is sometimes called. And so it's been translated into English. And they have a, it's a very rich language. And you don't have to know Greek to understand the Bible, but there's some things that are uh, maybe more informative when you do and read it, whether you can read the Greek or read an English translations of it and people talk about it. That's what I, I can read Greek a little bit, but I tend to just read what people have written about things or research it somewhat. But there are three words for new, the word English word new in the New Testament. They're all translated new, but it comes from different words. And they mean slightly different things. There's this word kainos, which means a new kind of thing. That's the word used there. That God, if a man is in Christ, he is a new kind of man, a new kind of creature. It's something that may look the same as the others, but it's of a different kind. As I mentioned last week, I, you can go down and buy a new car from the Ford dealership, and you'll get a car that's just brand new. There's another word for that, as you see here. Or you can get a car like Travis has. You can get a Tesla which is a new kind of car that's not been seen before. And that's the way this word is used here. And there are other things like that that you see. It means a new kind of thing. And that's a significant thing to realize that when he calls us Christians new creatures, or we have to be born again, born anew, Jesus says, that we have to be born in a different way, to be a different kind of person. Oh, we're still a human being, but we really got to be a different kind of human being than we were before. To be a Christian. And then there's this neos. You might recognize this. Well, my grandson's in the neonatal unit, meaning the neo meaning new and natal meaning birth. He's in that unit in the hospital right now. And we use this word for a lot of different kind of things. And neos means in new in time or brand new something. So you go down and you get a brand new car. It may be the same kind as a lot of other cars, maybe in the same colors, but to you it's brand new. Just, just from the factory, never been used before, and that's a that's this word. And the Bible uses that word to describe some things about being a Christian. But you see, in English, we just say new. And then there's prospatos, which is very rare in the New Testament, only used a couple of times, and it means freshly killed. It really means fresh, 
freshly killed. So we like our meats from the butcher prosphetos, new, brand new, not aged, would be the opposite of aged, or old, something that's stale. We want new bread, prosphetos, that's how kind of how they would use it, not stale bread. And there's some things about Christ that are said to be prosphetos. We probably won't get to that this morning because I want to concentrate on these other two things. And as I told you, just reading from the, the, the well, an expository dictionary means an expanded dictionary. So thus the new man in Ephesians 2.15 is new and differing in character. So in Ephesians 4.24, but the new man in Colossians 3.10, Neos stresses the fact of the believer's new experience, recently begun and still proceeding. So to be a Christian was something brand new, didn't exist in the Old Testament, didn't exist before that. And when you become a Christian, you're starting, you're starting an experience that's brand new, not like what you've been doing. And I think that's an important thing to remember for people because usually people just become a Christian, they just continue their same lifestyle. They often continue living and thinking and doing the same things they were before. They've just been baptized and so there's no real change. That doesn't describe what Christ says this should be like. Because it's neos. So the old man, so he goes on to say that there's something different. And so kainos denotes new of that which is unused, not new in time, as recent, but not new as to former quality and so forth. It's a different nature from what is contrasted to being old. And then you have this word neos, which is new in time. So, and the way this word is used in the New Testament mostly is younger or young. So it'll say, that the older women should be this, or older men should do this, and the younger should do this, and that's the word here, neos, meaning the newer ones. So some of you folks are a little newer than the rest of you, you know, haven't been quite as beat up and used, but that's what the word it actually means. It's often used this way. So they are sometimes used the same, but oftentimes they're not. Now this word prosphetos then just means something that's freshly slain freshly killed, and it was used for the sacrifices. It's used for this expression in Hebrews that Christ came and dedicated a new and living way. The new way was something that was done by a fresh, brand new sacrifice. Christ was freshly slain, although he was different than all the rest of the other sacrifices, but this was a brand new sacrifice that opened up this new way to heaven through Jesus Christ. That's the meaning in the book of Hebrews. So what are some of the things, and this word's very different. We're not going to look at any one of these things, so don't get alarmed in any great detail. We might go back and look at these in another lessons. But I just want you to see some of the things, and this probably isn't even an exhaustive list that's been made here. It's not an original list, but it's a list that's been made of things that are said to be new. And I broke them out into new kind and brand new, two different lists here. And and I want you to see all the things that it says about being a Christian or the way of Christ that's new. What is new in Christ? Now, before we start, I'll, I'll just tell you what you ought to get from this. You ought to come away understanding, as I mentioned before, that being a Christian is not just the continuation of your old way of thinking. And now you just go to church. It's not just continuing the old way of looking at the world and looking at other people around you and God. You have to adapt the mentality from the beginning of being a Christian. This is something new and different, and I'm going to act that way, and I'm going to think that way. Because what's got to change in being a Christian is everything has to be new. It has to be different in you. And if you don't realize that, you're not going to be successful in pleasing Christ and living according to his will 
or anything else in Christ. And, and, and then really, you're never going to enjoy the benefits of being in Christ if you don't understand that it's brand new and that it's a new kind of relationship that you have to have. So this is what's here. He says, for example, early on that we have a new covenant. Now, Matthew 26, 28, you don't have to look all these up. You can, you can write them down. It talks about the fact that this cup, which we're going to take of this morning, that this cup represents or is the new covenant in my blood. So we live under a new covenant. That's a, that's a different kind of covenant than the one that existed before that's been, that's memorialized in this cup that we drink. And the, the idea here is that he says it very clearly in Hebrews 8. That I'm going to make an, he promised in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 and so, the prophet Jeremiah said that the day, in days to come that God will make a, a new covenant with Israel, not according to the covenant they made with his fathers. So there's the key. That, and, and that's repeated here in Hebrews 8. That this covenant that we live under, the new covenant, the New Testament of Christ, is not according to the old covenant. It's not the same. It's a different kind of covenant. In that, it was enacted upon better promises. It has different results. It's a spiritual covenant, not a material covenant. There are lots of different, and he tells you many of those differences there in the book of Hebrews, which you could talk about. But he says this new covenant is not just new in time. Now we're going to see later, he says it's also new in time in the book of Hebrews. But here in chapter, uh, chapters eight, he says it's a new kind of covenant. We've been given a new commandment. Love one another. Well, you say, well, wait a minute, that, that's in the Old Testament. Doesn't he say that, uh, doesn't he say love one another, love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, he does say that. But Christ says it this way. I give you a new commandment and it means a new kind of, he uses the word not new in time, but a new kind of commandment to love as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. That's the different part. Not love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. We ought to do that. Jesus said you can sum up half the law with that. But here he says, the new commandment I give you is you love others as I have loved you, which demands that you take a look at how Christ loved us, the way he loved us, and you love other people the same way, in the same manner. That's the new kind of love, which means putting others before yourself and making it a self-sacrificial kind of love with the best interest of others at heart. And that's how I define love. Doing what is in the best interest of the other person. That is the Bible definition of love, something like that. Not feeling nice about them, feeling kindly affection toward them. That's not the Bible definition of love. That's the modern definition. That's not the Bible definition. The Bible definition involves doing something actively to them that is for their best interest. That's love. And that's the new, that's the new commandment that he gives. It's a different kind than the old. And so Christian love is going to be qualitatively different than the love the world offers because of this very fact that it has to be, if it's true Christian love, based upon a new commandment. Then he says, you become a new creation or new creature. This is a big thing here. This is a big concept. But in Galatians 6, 15, he says that everything is based on the fact that this, this is a new creation. New creature. And some versions say creation. Some versions say creature. And it's uh, hard to know exactly which one it is because they both mean the same thing. In other words, God brought something out of exist, out into existence that's of a different nature than was there before. You are a new creature in Christ. A new kind of being. 
You're one that's been bought with the blood of his son. You're one that's been redeemed. And you have to live that way that everything is new. And that's the same word that's used, pardon me, in our verse we read at the beginning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, that behold, all things will become new. That which is old has passed away, as we'll see in a moment. Now, that's a, that's a startling thing if you really meditated upon it when you become a Christian that I've got to begin to think that way. There, there are movements like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, that, that kind of teach something like this in some of their uh, literature they have passed out in their meetings that you have to get rid of old places, old friends, and something else. I don't know what something else old. And you have to find new ones. And that's important. If you have an addiction problem and you keep going to the same old places and seeing the same old people, you're going to have the same old problem. And that's that's different. Now, Christ, being a Christian, that's totally different. I think it's helpful. It's helpful to me, and it should be helpful to you to realize, although we come to church every Sunday, and some of you might think of it as boring to come to the same place and do the same thing, that what we're really, this is just a small micro, small piece of being a Christian, that being a Christian involves every day, involves what's in your heart and how you think about it. It's all a new kind of thing that you're experiencing. This promise of being new, of being a new creation, isn't given to people who don't follow Jesus Christ, people outside of Christ. They may think of themselves as educated, smart, whatever it may be. They may think of themselves as sophisticated, their leaders, whatever. But in any event, they don't have this promise of being new. They're still caught in the same old drudgery of the world. The world keeps doing the same old things. It's like I was telling Gary and way over here this morning for the radio show, I said, I don't often watch the news because I've seen the news. I've already seen the news. Well, it's news. Yeah, it's not news. It's the same old thing. People acting the same old way. People doing the same old things for the same old reasons. It just gets dressed up now with computers and the internet and whatever. It gets dressed up with different kinds of, different kinds of music and shows, but it's the same old news. Same old thing. That's always been happening because it's the same old world with the same old humans who are living the same old way. In Christ, there should be something different. And there is to those who are truly in Christ. Oh, yes, that's true. The church has its share of hypocrites and phonies, people who don't live it. I understand that and I don't like that. And we talk about that here. But we have to be looking at what should be as well as what is. And we know what the Bible says what should be is that when you come here, even though you may be struggling to get out of that old world, you are a new creation and a new creature. If you can remember that, that can help you fight temptation. It can help you rethink how you react to your sister-in-law when she's treating you poorly or whatever it may be, you know, your brother-in-law. You know, it can help you. It can help you when you decide how you're going to act toward this person who you have to, have to deal with that uh, you're unsure of or afraid of because you're a new creature. And what the words that come out of your mouth and what you do with your hands and uh, those things are important to know is because it's brand new. And then Ephesians 4, he says, you become a new man. It's interesting that we're new man. I know, I'm a sexist because I said it was a man. Where's the woman? All right, well, the word anthropos there in the original language, the first definition of the word is a human being. Male or female. That's the definition. They, the Greeks have a word. They had a word for man that was just male, and they had a word for man that was human. We we have one word, and that's what we use. And it's pretty obvious. 
but uh, what it is. But this is a new kind of human. That's what he promises that you must be. Not only are you when you become out, come out of the waters of baptism a new man or person, but you are. You must be that way. And Ephesians 4, if we went and did a study of that, you'd see he details the kind of things in there that have to be of a different kind than they were before about you. The different kinds of behaviors and attitudes that have to be different than they were before. Including the last verse of that chapter is you have to forgive one another even as Christ forgave you. Uh, The world's not about the business of forgiving, but Christianity is. Christians are. And so there's just one case where you see the, the idea of new. And then he says he made a new man, meaning a new body. He said he took, in Ephesians 2, it's, a, it's really sometimes a misconcept. What he's talking about is in Ephesians 2 is this, the ancient world, much like the modern world, was fractured into different identity groups. And the two biggest ones that the Hebrews in particular and some of the Gentiles there were fractured into was Jew and Gentile. There was this division that could hardly be crossed. They didn't like each other. They had a hard time dealing with each other. And it was fault on both sides. But the fact is, it was a division in mankind. And even among the Greeks, as I've told you before, the Greeks, uh, someone told me their name was Barbara. Well, the word Barbara comes from the Greek of the idea of the the Greeks speak this beautiful language in their mind. You know, the guy with the Windex in that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. You're either Greek or you're Zeno. You're either a Greek or a Zeno. The Zeno is a stranger. That means what that's what that means, an alien. So to him, you're either a Greek or a Zeno. And his daughter wasn't going to be marry no Zeno. You see, the whole thing. And the Greeks were better. They had better food, better language, they were better looking people. That's what he thought about everything. Well, that's where the ancient Greeks were. And they called anybody who didn't speak this beautiful Greek language, they called them a barbarian because he barked, barked, barked like a dog. They said, they're just a bunch of dogs barking. That's what their language is. That's how they viewed all other languages but Greek. And so they called them barbarians. Just so you know if your name is Barbara or the name... I know, so, I know you're so proud of that, you know. But uh, being... But... <laughs> anyway. That's how people fought in the ancient world. Is that much different than the way people think today? Do you think we have a new problem because we have racism or whatever in this world? We don't. It just locates itself differently depending on where, what culture you're in. It locates itself differently. In the Christian, in this new man that he's creating, the point in Ephesians chapter 4 is that God had taken, or in Ephesians chapter 2, is that God was taking those two groups of people that didn't like each other and thought they were so different, and he says, of the two, he has made one. There is one new man in Christ. That's what the church has to be. We don't always achieve it, but we have to strive for that. Understand that that conceptually is what God has been doing, making one new man. So that's why I am so much against identity politics. It's a destructive, bad game for everybody involved. It will never bring any unity to human beings. It won't bring goodness and peace and whatever they think it will. Identity politics, dividing everybody up into different groups, those groups blaming others for their problems and back and forth, whether it's white identity politics or black identity politics or Hispanic, it won't matter. It's not according to the pattern of the scriptures. And I reject it because we need to get away from that identity politics. We've got to start somewhere, you know, 
And somebody has to start. And I think this generation and this time is as good a place as any to kill that whole idea and be one new man. You in your, I know I can't fix society, but you in your life can try to fix it as best you can. And you can get rid of this notion in your idea that everybody else besides you is a barbarian and needs to be corrected and they're there to blame for all your problems. You can get rid of that and be a new man in Christ. That's what Paul said he needs to be. So this is an important concept. And then we're given a new name. Revelation 2, he says that we're going to be given a new name or have been given a new name. That means a new identity as a Christian. So who are you? What are you? I've often told people, and I tell, try to teach my children this, tell them that you're a Christian, not that you're a German, not that you're whatever, or maybe even, maybe even first, don't even tell them you're an American. Tell them you're a Christian. That's your identity if you're a Christian in Christ. That will, that will alienate you from a lot of people, but so will saying American or German or whatever else you might say too. You see. But your new identity in Christ and the new name you've been given, it says there it's the name of God. It's God's name has been placed upon you uh, in that. And we see this in the name Christian itself. The word Christian itself in the Bible means to be to belong to Christ. It was the name given to, for example, the slaves of a particular man or his servants were called after his name because they belonged to him and his family or with him. And so they were given that name I-A-N-O-S at the end of it, like Christianos. And so we have a new name. And we have new, in Revelation 3.12, he even says we have a new name. It's Christ's name. We've been given a new song to sing. That deserves a whole sermon by itself in Revelation 5.9 that they sing a new song. This is a new kind of song. A song of true redemption, of true belonging to God, not being strangers and aliens, not being people that can't approach God, uh, but people that can come to God's throne. We've been given this new song to sing of being redeemed and truly being free. That's in Christ. He even says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, and also in Revelation 21, I think it's verse 1 and 3, he says that there's going to be a new heaven or is a new heaven, a new earth. New. A new kind of. Not just a, here's what the Jehovah's Witnesses have, here's what they say about this, and I want you to think about this concept. They, they talk about there being, the earth being renovated. That's the word that they use in their literature. That they believe that heaven is going to be here on this earth. That at the end of time, it's just going to be renovated, is the word they use. That doesn't fit with this word that's used here. This word says a new kind of heaven and earth. Not like the old one, but not renovated. A renovated house is one that's just been spruced up a little bit. That's not the kind of person you're supposed to be as a Christian. One who is an old man of sin, and he's been spruced up a little bit, and he wears a suit to church on Sunday. You ever seen those kind of religious people? Yes, you have. And they're not really new men or women, you see. This is a new kind of person, new kind of heaven and earth. Not like the old one in many, in many important respects, you see. That's what this word that's used here. And so you, you see there's a bunch of these other kinds. You see also a new Jerusalem a new place where God dwells. That's more of a spiritual concept. We don't spend much time on that. Or, But in Revelation 21.5, we'll come back to this verse in a minute. He says 
that really in Christ, he's made, going to make and has made all things new. All things have been made new in Christ. We'll come back to that in a moment. But here's this other word then. There's only a few usages I want to talk about with you this morning for sake of time. But the first one is he says in Christ, you're a new man. Well, I thought you just said we were a new man. Yeah, we're a new kind of man. But here it says you're brand new. You start over. That's the thing about being a Christian and being, when, when you, when you come to the Lord in Christ and you say, I want to, I want to obey Christ. I want to throw away all the other stuff I've got. I want to start over. I want to start over. Wouldn't, wouldn't some of you like that if financially tomorrow morning you could just start over and all your old debts were gone, all the foolish things that you've done were just taken away and you could start over fresh with your money? I'd love that, you see, if I could do that. We don't get that opportunity in life very often, probably never really. But wouldn't you like to just start over? Wouldn't you like to start over maybe in your marriage? In relationships you've had with people that you once truly did love and that everything went awry and you don't know how to fix it. Maybe it's all broken, maybe permanently, I don't know. But wouldn't you love to be able to start over brand new, you see? People try this in marriages. They try just to go away for a week or two and start over brand new. And I've actually sat in this building at different times and counseled some married couples who come to me with a million different disagreements and they're both back and forth about what you did and what you did and what you said and what you said. You know, I finally, after a while that I say, look, I don't know for you. I tell them now sometimes you can work through those things and clarify what really happened. You can actually give people good advice, but sometimes I just have to shake my head and say, the only thing I can think of is, are you two willing to start over as much as possible? And not bring, not go back to all this stuff that's dragging you down. Can you start over where you were in the beginning? Because I can tell you, you probably didn't get married because you didn't like each other. You got married because you thought it would work and you love the other person. Can you start there and start over? If you can, you have a chance. Without that, you have no chance. Because there's no way to unravel this mess you've made of everything. This, un- this tangled up, distorted, evil mess you've made. There's no way to unravel it all, untie all the knots. So sometimes we need to be a new man. We need, it's a wonderful thing to say, God will give you a chance to start all the way over. And when you become a Christian, if I were to, if you were to come and say, I want to be baptized into Christ and start over and repent of my sins, and I take you and I baptize you in the water and bring you back up, this is what Christ says. Here, you become a new man. You become a new person. All that other stuff is washed away. Oh, your habits and thoughts are the same. You've got to change those. But you get a fresh start. You get to start over again. We need that as human beings sometimes, very much. I think that's why people are attracted to New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Besides the drinking. Everybody in America, we have a, have to drink. I mean, you know, so... You ever seen that post they put on dorm walls? It's got uh, the year in drinking, so every day is a certain holiday. And it's all about drinking. Every day of the year, they list the holiday of that year, and you're supposed to drink for that holiday the whole year. This is the way Americans are. So Cinco de Mayo, it's not an American holiday. It's just a day to drink. What was I talking about? I don't know. You, you, You can't live... That life. Then we get a new, we have a new covenant. In this case, Hebrews 12, he says, this is not just a new kind of covenant that's different than the one I made with Moses and the Jews. This is something that's brand new in time. 
the old one is old and it's going away and this new one is brand new and that's where you have to start. I want to be part of that new one. You need to be part of that new one, not the old one that's vanishing away, but the new covenant of Christ. Throw away all those restrictions from the old covenant that people want to keep binding on what you eat and what you wear and all those things and and come and enjoy the freedom in the new covenant of Christ, brand new in time. And then we even get to drink, as I mentioned a moment ago, of this new drink, the fruit of the vine. And we also partake of the body, but this new fruit of the vine, this new drink, a brand new in time thing. When Christ established, there was a Passover meal that was already established in the Old Testament. And we've done those here. We've done recreations of those here. Maybe we'll do that again in the spring or something. What do you think, Gary? Should we try another one? Maybe. Uh, they're, they're elaborate and crazy, but we'll try to do that. It's hard to find a big place, but we've done it in the past. It's very interesting. And you can go through all the traditions and all the laws of the Old Testament to have this Passover dinner. And you find something there that's very prominent, but not in the Old Testament. And that's the four cups of wine, as the Jews would call it. Well, Christ in his, at the, at the supper before his crucifixion, at the Passover before his crucifixion, he took that cup that wasn't in the Old Testament, in the law, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New in time. This is something that's not based on the old. And when Paul gave the regulations of the, of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 16, that we're going to read here probably in a little while, he didn't start off with the Passover. He started off with what the Lord had given him brand new that they were supposed to do. I want to, I emphasize that point because so much misunderstanding occurs with the Lord's Supper because we try to make it the Passover. We should love the Passover. We should remember the Passover. It's important. It tells us so much about Christ. And Christ was put to death at the Passover. But it's not what we keep. We keep the Lord's Supper in rem- This do, he says, this do in remembrance of me. And it's the new new covenant in my blood, not the blood of lambs and goats and so forth. And so that's the thing. Now what I want to close with is this uh, passage here. Well, well, I got that's not the right one. I'm going to skip that one. Sorry, skip that one. Let's let's go over here to the book of Revelation. The point of all this is that in Christ, the end of all things, the real purpose of all things is something new. I really believe you should focus on this as a Christian. Never forget this. Look what he says in Revelation 21. And he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. At first glance, that might not appear as significant as it really is to people who read it. But if you were to be able, as some can in their writings and their thought processes, stand back and look, at human history, not just in the what battle when the Battle of Hastings was fought and all that kind of stuff, but look at human beings as they have existed and struggled down through time. And when you begin to think that even this morning, as we sit here in this nice, comfortable building and soft seats, 
of the suffering that's going on around the world. Not only the suffering, but the wickedness that's going on at this very moment. The affront to God and the destruction of people's lives, little children even, others, that are happening at this moment that happened through human lives. All of the hopelessness that exists in this world of people this morning that are hopeless. And they're correct about that. They don't have much hope. He says here that what God has designed for us to understand and become in Christ, that in Christ I'm making all things new. Now, you can find yourself living with the old. In the judgment day, which he's going to get to in this book here of Revelation, we see him separating those who want to keep living in the old. Those who depend upon the old way to think they can, to think they can finally outsmart the world. They think they can finally outsmart and they've got the perfect political system by electing the certain people and passing certain laws and doing, we got the perfect political system to create a utopia and end all these problems. Other people think that if you follow a certain diet or certain restrictions, you'll, you'll get there. They, they're living in the old world. If I just keep trying hard enough and keep doing this and keep doing that, I'll overcome all these things by myself. God's promising you something new. And and Christ told John, right, for these words are true and faithful, I am going to make all things new. Then on the other side of that coin, you have those who accept God's word and accept his promise that it can be new. And God says here in the end, I desire to give every man to drink of the fountain of the water of life freely. To him who thirsts. This is a magnificent promise that God gives us, but it requires you to think of something new and begin something again and understand who you are in Christ. So those of you who are in Christ today, refresh yourselves with the water of life. Drink and remember that you're new and it has to stay that way and you got to keep fighting to be new. And those who are outside of Christ, I call you to come away from the world that's always been the same always struggled, always sinful, always degenerate, come away and find something new in Christ. Can you do that? Will you do that? This morning we'll be glad to help you if you will. You'll come to the front. We're going to sing a song and you respond and we'll take your confession of belief in Christ. We can baptize you into Christ or we can pray with you about the wrong that's holding you back. You come to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.